Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. So confidence in the very purest sense comes from I am. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm a drop of consciousness. I'm spirit individualized, whatever word you want to use, you know, the universe, whatever. But I am here. I am present. I am alive. And that is where the real confidence comes from. So the more we anchor into that, like I was saying with my example of, you know, I was doing these practices and then there just started to be this flow. Um, we start to understand that really life um, transforms, like we transform our lives from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us engage in this arduous pushing externally. The ego is like wanting to say, oh, well, you need to do more. You need to get more. Even the way we approach love, we think we need to get love from other people. We need to get mm -hmm. this and this. And that's the ego um, playing out lack. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Today on the podcast is Kimberly Snyder, the lovely Kimberly. She is a good friend. Kimberly is a spiritual teacher, uh, a teacher of meditation. She's a nutritionalist, holistic wellness expert, three-time New York Times bestselling author. She has six books, her latest one being called You Are More Than You Think You Are, which is what our topic of conversation was. Super good book. I mean, it's it's really just it, the, one of the words in the title uh, in, on the cover is practical. And that's just the perfect word for it because it really hits on a lot of topics in, in a really uh, clear and concise way. We talked about letting go. We talked about fear. We talked about love. We talked about forgiveness, purpose. And of course, the most important thing, which is your true self. You know, I love that she describes the true self as the center and at the center of everything is where everything is the most peaceful and calm. And so uh, it was just a, a really clear, concise, just like her book conversation. So I think you're going to fall in love with her. I think you're going to want this book and I think you're probably going to want to buy it for some friends. So enjoy the episode today with the wonderful Kimberly Snyder. How's it going? How, how are you? Oh, it's so good. I'm so glad we could have this time together. I feel like, you know, we, we text. Sometimes we're in the same city. Sometimes we're not. But I always love, of course, catching up with you. So thank you for having me back on. Like to jump right into the book, because obviously that's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, first off, congrats. It's always such 
a big deal to write a book. And I have to tell you a funny story about this one, which was, um, first of all, it, it, it just came down when I was 34 weeks pregnant with my younger son, who you met. And I, it was at a time when I was trying to slow down and not necessarily write a book, but we can't always control the timing. It really just came in and it was so strong. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to Deepak Chopra, who I wrote a book with two books ago. And I said, Deepak, I have this idea. And you know, I told him and he said, oh, this book belongs with Hay House, which was a, a different publisher than my previous two. So he puts me on an email with Reed Tracy, the president, and he's like, well, Kimberly, what's your book about? And so I told him, and I think a week later, I presented it on Zoom. I wrote one sample chapter, and it was three days before I gave birth that I wrote, um, that I signed my book deal. And then 60 days after writing or after giving birth, I started writing and oh my gosh, Danica, this, first of all, I look at it. I'm like, oh my God, how did I write this? It was during COVID. My older son who's four was not in preschool that I had a newborn. And this book, it just felt like, it doesn't feel like my book. It feels like it wants to be here. It, you know, like the, the teachings and what's in it. And I feel like I'm in service to the book. And I haven't had that experience with the previous five books. <laughs> wow. wow. Well, I remember being at your house. Yes. Um, which was so beautiful, so relaxing in nature. And <laughs> you were talking about you had started writing a book that was, I yes. feel like you had talked about at that point, either that or maybe the maybe that uh, I was editing it, it. I think. Yes. Yeah. At that point, oh, was it um, Moses was here, right? Yeah. Or yeah. did I, I think maybe I met you when I was still pregnant, but then I can't remember my brain. <laughs> One no, time Moses was here. Cause you were, I, yes, yes. I don't you know no, for sure. You may, maybe you were, but I just remember you talking about this is the most important book. I, this one's different. This one feels really special. And, you know, maybe just explain why that is, you know, having yes. five previous books already, you know, what was it about this one that felt so different or, you, you know, other than of course the, the way that it came through at a time where you were like, I'm ready to slow down. And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we got other plans for you. More books. Um, well, I feel like, different? you know, with other books, Danica, it's covered different aspects of, of lifestyle. So um, actually, can I tell you another quick story about this, how this came to be? So actually, um, in the book, I talk about this in the beginning, how I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. And I went into college thinking I might be a doctor. I had a partial science and math scholarship, but then I interned in a hospital one summer and realized it wasn't my path. But I ended up working for a year and saving up some money. And then I decided to travel for a few weeks. And I think, you know, looking back, I was, I was seeking and I didn't know exactly what I was seeking, but I was trying to find some relief um, from the discomfort I had within myself. I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of insomnia, a lot of digestive issues, acne, a lot of self-doubt. Um, you know, I had just been recovering from eating disorders. So I was just sort of like angst. And so I went out on the road <clears throat> and I didn't realize how inexpensively I could travel. So I was doing it for a couple of dollars a day in some countries. I was in Southeast Asia, the rest of Asia for 18 months, and then Africa where I bought a car and I was living out of the car. But the reason I tell you this is because one of the most impactful countries for me was India. And the first time I went, I was there for three months. And then I went back, circled around, and I was there for another longer period. So when I was in India, Danica, it was the first time I really started learning about yoga and meditation. And so I didn't really know the difference until I came back to the West. Oh, a lot of people think yoga is just the poses, but mm -hmm. it's not. It's really this whole system for creating union 
within our, you know, between the mm. ego and this, um, the true self, which we'll get into in a moment, this unlimited part of us. So anyways, I, I didn't know much, but I was starting to read these books and particularly from Paramahansa Yogananda, who's mm-hmm. this great yoga guru that brought yoga to the West. And so I was starting to really go into these practices. And then I got back from traveling and I ended up in New York. You and I were just talking about this because my family's from the East Coast. And oh my gosh, I was, I was broke, Danica. I didn't have any money. Um, but I scraped together a little bit to sublet a place. And then I was um, teaching yoga and asanas. And then I was going back to nutrition school. And then all I did was start a free WordPress blog. And the only people I told were my yoga students because I didn't know anything about marketing or SEO. And then the funny thing is it started spreading organically through New York City and people started hearing about it. And then my first celebrity found me. And so I started working with her. I got on a film set and I started working with other actors. And then I got pulled into that world. And the funny thing is I still don't own a TV. So I certainly wasn't trying to get into that world, but it was starting to you know, add more um, you know, wings to my platform. Mm-hmm. And then I started going on these national television shows like GMA and all this stuff was unfolding. So here's the funny part about the story. Mm-hmm. The first book deal came and it was with Harper Collins and, the, and my editor was Sarah. And I said, oh, I have an idea for a book. And I had this manuscript I put together and Mm -hmm. it was called Catching the Fire. And it was a travel memoir with a lot of these teachings that are in this book. And she looked at it and she goes, okay. Then she looked at my website and she's like, well, the food and the recipe part seems to be taking off. So why don't we do a food book first and then we'll do this book second. Well, that was exactly to this year, 10 years ago. Oh my God. And so that the first book was the beauty detox solution that, you know, just took off, sold like a million copies. So then the second book, they wanted to do a food book. Then the third book started coming back. It was about chakras. It was called beauty detox power. Um, then the fourth book I wrote with Deepak, which was Ayurveda and spirituality. Then the fifth book was a hybrid, but this book, Danica, the reason I'm so passionate about it, this is the first time I'm sharing my full playbook of these teachings that are, you know, buried in thousands of pages of ancient text and really showing how useful and helpful they are today in helping us to alleviate suffering, get past fear, live our best lives, really step into our creative power and our confidence, which I believe is possible for anybody. And there's support of science and stories to show their relevance. Yeah. Which is great. And there's, there's like calls to action. Yes. When you say playbook, as I'm reading it, I'm like, it totally is because you hit on so many different topics. And sometimes I read a book about spirituality or, um, you know, some sort of facet of wellness. And, you know, you could have probably taken this book and made five different books out of it. You know, you could have a book that just has (laughs) to do more with meditation and connection with your body. And then you could have done another one that has to do with like, you know, um, you know, the relationship with the outside world and things that you could have probably broken this down into so many different books, but you didn't. And you really kept it concise, which I love. And then I also love that at the end of the chapters that there's, there's ways to, to, to go deeper into what it is that you're talking about with prompts and questions and, and, and ways to guide people through certain steps, whether it be breathing or meditation or, just how to sit even during your meditation. Um, and, and I just think that that's so great because it's, it's like one of those things, you know, it's like going to a wellness conference and you leave feeling like so buzzed and energized and excited. And then, you know, a couple of days later, you're kind of like back to normal because nothing's changed. And so 
I love that there's ways that people can go deeper and that you encourage them from the very beginning in the book where you say, get a journal out and get ready to start writing because that's such a huge part of it. And I've found that with my own practices that the more that I say things out loud, the more that I write them down, the more that I get these really gems of prompts make you just open up like a flower. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's rainwater in the flower in the form of tears, but so beautiful. So, so, so beautiful. Well, thank you, love. And it's true that the subtitle of the book is practical enlightenment for everyday life. And so it was so important to me that the book was, is practical because Mm -hmm. to your point, sometimes I read, I love Eckhart Tolle. I read his stuff and then I'm like, this sounds really great. I'm on board with the philosophy, but how do I really live this? Right. So Every chapter, like you said, whether it's going into confidence, there's a 90 second reset. If you start to find yourself in comparison mode or triggered or whatever it is to come back, same thing with abundance and so on and so forth. Um, So the book is structured in three parts. The first is getting past the biggest blocks. Because if we don't get past the biggest blocks, including fear, um, whole, the wholeness chapter is seeing um, that we are beyond our behaviors, mm-hmm. then we can't really get on the path in the first place. And so the word enlightenment is about freedom. It's about more awareness. It doesn't mean we're going to be fully enlightened like Jesus or Buddha, but just getting on the path and having practices starts to shift our energy little by little every single day. And so the meditations I teach, the practical enlightenment meditations are usually like seven minutes, right? So I'm not asking people to do a complete overhaul of their life. If the Titanic was turned one degree from the beginning of the journey, history would have been changed. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of the book is embodying more of the qualities of the true self, mm-hmm. um, like confidence, um, intuition, peace. And then the third part, Danica, is really um, exciting. We don't want to skip ahead to that, but the longest chapter in the book is called You Are a Creator. Mm-hmm. And it's about once we've established part one and two, it's how do we work with our unique energy and our unique gifts, which are formless, they're energetic. And how do we extract that and put it through these exercises into actual form, into creating our best product or idea or website or whatever it is. So there's a very practical nature to this. Um, And what you mentioned before about journaling, um, there's eight limbs of yoga, you know, back to this core concept that yoga is really about union. And the this essential message of this book is how do you connect to this often dormant part of you that's called the true self, that is the goal of yoga. And within the niyamas, which are the second limb of yoga, there's something called svadhyaya, which is introspection and self-study. So yoga has laid out for thousands of years this whole process of introspection. That's why the journaling prompts are really important. Not Mm -hmm. just reading these teachings or this information, but seeing, huh, what are my patterns? How does this apply to me? What are my wounds or my triggers or ways that I act out of the ego versus the true self energy? So mm-hmm. it keeps, um, again, it's it's relevant and it's practical and um, it is possible, I believe, to create great change in your life with these teachings. I love Wayne Dyer calls ego edging God out (laughs) as an acronym. And it's so true. So let's talk about the true self, because that's something like, you know, at the core, like you said, the true self, um, the what you're trying to get to. And I love also in the book how you talk about like that true self, like the center of everything is always the calmest, which is such a beautiful visualization of it. 
Um, but maybe starting with the question of, cause there's going to be a lot of people like, including what myself. Is the true this, self? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like it's hard to know, like, even if we just know who we, to know who we really are is a challenge and like, it's a journey. And I don't know if I'll ever be off of that ever, ever finish that journey. The, the, um, hopefully I get to the point where I feel much more wrapped up, hands wrapped around the truth and true nature and the true self. Um, and I've come a long way, but like, why is it that people have such a hard time just even getting to the point where they know who they are? <laughs> when I was like married a hundred years ago, like there used to be a lot of drinking and then the yeah. next relationship, there was none. And yes. like, even in this like, mini example of like all this way, all that way, I went, I don't know who I am. And like, yeah. it took me years to really figure out even where I was in the ebb and flow of something just like that, right, you know, which is right. something probably practical that a lot of people participate in on a regular basis. And it's like, so when I say who you really are, it's like, who are you minus everything else? Why yes. is that so hard? In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Great. So there's like a million things I want to say about this. I love this question, Danica. So first of all, um, the, the, the issue, the biggest issue I see today, hands down across everything, the reason people, I believe, suffer so much, the reason there's so much comparison, feeling not enough, feeling not good enough, all of these, um, like, these forms of suffering come from one root cause, which is that we over-identify with the ego the mm -hmm. pseudo soul. So what Wayne Dyer calls the less than 2% of who we are. So what is the ego? The ego is this part of us that's sensing with the five senses. So it's what we see with our physical eyes, right. including looking in the mirror, what we look like, what other people are doing on social media. It's always looking out, touching, hearing what's out here. Right. So there's, we are having an embodied experience. We are here in a physical body. So of course we are going to have an ego to an extent where we need to be in the world. But the issue is when we put our full identity and our self worth in this, right? So the true self, what yoga teaches us is this formless part of us. So it's not something we can see with our physical mm -hmm. eyes necessarily. It's beyond what we look like. And it's also beyond what we do. So I want to get to behavior in a moment. Yeah. So this part of us is it's the voice of the, the heart of the intuition. It's this part of us that's beyond thought. Like Eckhart used to always say beyond thought. I didn't really know what he was talking about, but we tune into this stable um, resource inside of us, this courageous, infinitely creative um, intelligence inside of us. When we learn, we've had to get to know it. So first of all, we need to spend time out in the world and balance that with inner connection, meditation, stillness, being in nature. Because otherwise, like you said, we get very confused and we start to identify who we are without here. So anytime you, you, you're saying to yourself, hmm, I don't feel good enough. You see something that triggers you, like someone walks by and you're like, oh, I should be, I should be 10 pounds lighter or whatever, or something <laughs> happens or, you know, whatever you see a social media post and you think whatever it is, 
it's important that first of all, in that moment, you pause and that feeling comes up, you start to recognize it and you say, oh, I'm identifying with my ego in this moment, right? That is what all of that is. Because when we are connected to the true self, we understand that we are this unique creation of spirit and no one can be us and no one, um, we can't be anyone else. So in the confidence chapter, I talk about the difference between surface confidence and true confidence. Mm -hmm. Surface confidence is in the ego. So it's like, I'm, you know, I've got really great skin or like, look at my achievements. So for me, it used to be like, look at my straight A's. It was all like my worth was in my grades always, my perfectionism. But the problem is out here is this swirl of dynamic change all the time. So if we pin our confidence to anything out here, it's always going to go up and down. So the true source of confidence yoga teaches us, and when you peel away the layers and the layers and you keep going deeper and deeper is one thing, Danica, it's very simple. It's when, you know, the statement, when, when Moses asked the almighty, um, you know, what is this? What are you? And it was one statement. I am that I am right. So confidence in the very purest sense comes from, I am, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm a drop of consciousness. I'm spirit individualized, whatever word you want to use, you know, the universe, whatever, but I am here. I am present. I am alive. And that is where the real confidence comes from. So the more we anchor into that, like I was saying with my example of, you know, I was doing these practices and then there just started to be this flow. Um, we start to understand that really life um, transforms, like we transform our lives from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us engage in this arduous pushing externally. The ego is like wanting to say, oh, well, you need to do more. You need to get more. Even the way we approach love, we think we need to get love from other people. We need to get mm -hmm. this and this. And that's the ego um, playing out lack. And mm -hmm. the opposite is when we realize that we are in charge of our, what we can, what we can work with is our inner state. Yeah. And it's this frequency inside of us. Abundance is really showing with the fullness of this moment. So we're, we're here and we're present and we're breathing and we're not lacking anything. We're not comparing ourselves. We're not in ego identification. We are in connection with this essence inside of us. And then that repeated frequency over time starts to attract and create. Mm -hmm. People are drawn to you. People say, oh, what are you, what is this? What are you working on? They want to, you know, opportunities come mm -hmm. and more relationships, things get deeper um, and deeper. And so it's this beautiful, unfolding, Danica, of your entire life, yeah. which is why I'm so passionate about this book is because I've seen in my own life and I talk about in the book, some really hard times I've been through and some really, you know, um, uh, challenging to say at least uh, personal relationships and things that I have transcended to now live, you know, and I got deeper and deeper into this after my, you know, rock bottom place about four years ago. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, it doesn't have to be <laughs> as arduous and pushing and living from the ego as we've been led to believe there's this whole other way of living. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would love to talk about that, that, that sort of that transition that happened. Um, but to just go back to the, the true self and what I'm hearing is it's like, essentially it's, it's you minus the thinking mind. 
So it's like feeling, being, my like gravitating towards the things that you want to do. It's like, isn't it magical how when you finally get good and happy with yourself and you start serving yourself, showing up for yourself, doing the things that light you up and like you just sort of all of a sudden doors start opening. And it's like, to me, it's because you get the thinking mind out of the way, you're feeling what you're feeling and you're, and you're moving towards those things. And it's not your thinking mind coming in going, oh, maybe that's a waste of time. That's stupid. That's not, you know, you, you that's not going to make you look better. That's, you know, it's like, get the thinking mind out of the way. And it's like more about the feeling. And then in that space, you can also come to these more, um, pillar moments of like a certain knowing that comes into your existence and being that I think that if we all slowed down enough to think about, we all probably can remember those times where it was like, you know, could be about a job, a person, a relationship, any kinds of things. And you're like, I kind of knew it's like, you have a knowing inside of you that you can't really, it's harder to listen to when you have the thinking mind in the way. Yes. So the thinking mind and the overthinking mind and what Zen Buddhists call the monkey mind mm-hmm. is the, um, the, the ego really playing out and, and whispering in your head all the time and, and keeping you in self-doubt keeping you kind of over-evaluating all the time. So when you talked about feelings and emotions, um, energy and motion is really what uh, emotions are too. And so there's, there's more activity in that. So what we're talking about with the true self, and this is where, this is where the practices come, where we, we hone in and we hone in. Um, one of the limbs of yoga is called pratyahara. And first, you know, when I read this, you know, when I started off like 12 years ago, I was like, ah, eh, that sounds good. But this was the game changer for me, Danica. Pratyahara means withdrawing the senses inward. So what does that mean? It means the, the, the ego is always tuned out here and out here. Right. Mm-hmm. So meditation isn't just, I'm going to relax because basically is like, Oh, I'm relaxing my five senses. No, no, no. We want to do practices that actually bring us from the peripheral nervous system into the central nervous system, which is known as the Shashumna Nadi. It's our main energy channel. And mm-hmm. there is science to this, right? So we know when we're in our spine and the yogis um, in, uh, I forget which chapters, I think it's chapter 11. I talk about focusing on your third eye. Mm-hmm. What this literally does is it activates this little notch, this part of your brain back here where the notch is called your medulla oblongata. So when you're activating here, this ganglion of nerves, you are literally lighting up different parts of your brain, like your creative center and the parts of you that are more and um, less emotional and more into um, equanimity, right? So these practices are very specific. They've been around for thousands of years. It's not just, oh, relax. Um, And creating stillness is important, but that's why this book is so specific with these practices, because we want to have downtime, but we also want to use, we want to learn how to direct our energy in specific ways. You know, Yogananda talked about the underlying energy matrix of all things. So he was very specific. Um, Which is? He had he had, you know, Jesus and Krishna and all the, there's a court of all religions at the Lake Shrine Temple here. Cause he was saying, when I'm talking about, you can be any religion or you can be no religion. We're talking about energy. We're talking about, um, you know, in quantum physics, it's gravitational field where 
it's not separate particles, but it's, you know, waves, everything is interconnected. So when you're working to yoke or create union with your, you know, our limited smallness, which is when we think we're an ego, and instead we unite through the spine, through our central channel and our brain into, you know, universal creative intelligence, source, God, whatever word you want to use. Now you're tapping into unlimited creativity and your best ideas that are being funneled through your, um, again, your individual consciousness. It just, it expands and expands. Um, so I guess, you know, this sounds a little esoteric, so maybe I'll give, um, I'll give a, an example is, you know, when you mentioned, um, you know, just tuning in more, going past the thinking mind. When I went through my rock bottom period, it was, you know, I was a new mom. My son wasn't, my older son wasn't yet a year. And then I lost my mom really suddenly. She, you know, from her cancer diagnosis to when she passed, it was less than six weeks. And then I kind of had this moment, you and I have talked about this, where I was like, Ugh, like, oh, this is not the life I want. You know, this guy I was with, who's a great guy, by the way, I would never say anything badly about him, but we just weren't this like deep emotional, we didn't have this deep emotional connection. Yeah. So then I moved out on my own. So then I was new mom, lost my mom, became a single mom. Mm. And this monk that I met with at the Self-Realization Fellowship, his advice, which is Yogananda's meditation organization, his advice was treat your home like an ashram for five months. This mm -hmm. is before COVID. So I took care of my child. I worked. And the rest of the time, Danica, I was reading scripture. So I was reading the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the New Testament of the Bible, Rumi, like all these old teachings. And I was meditating and I was just, just going deep and deep. And what happened after that period, you know, after more than five months, I emerged with this deeper sense of trust, like trusting myself, like the true self, trusting life, just, um, just more resilience and more strength and more. How, um, how, did you learn, how, how could you trust yourself more? So through this period, um, I think, you know, again, through deep introspection and stillness and doing these practices came to realize how much I give my power. I was giving my power away. And I think most of us do this in terms of like, oh, this is my idea. What do you, what do you think of it? Right. Or like, again, trying to get the love or the validation, like compliments okay. or people agreeing with you or all this stuff out here versus one of the biggest benefits of this work I found is when you start to really connect to the stable place inside of you, you realize you don't need that much from the outside. We are autonomous. This mm -hmm. love that we're seeking from out here, we can give it to ourselves. We can validate ourselves. We find the peace inside, right? Mm -hmm. We connect here and most of our needs are met. And the reason there's so much drama in relationships and issues is because we are transposed. <laughs> our needs, no, instead of through here, we're trying to get something from yeah. other people. So, so the story goes, so then, so then, okay, so that was five months I was in there and then I emerged and here's the funny part of the story. You've met my husband, Danica. So then I was at this dinner <laughs> party man. months later and I was here, right? I mean, like I was in my heart and I was in my gut and I was feeling whole. So I was complete. I was good. I was just walking around, like not trying to get anything. And then boom, I met John, future hubby, who again, if I had been here, like you were saying, Danica, in the mind, I would have walked right by him because I'm like, this guy's not my type, you know, completely covered in tattoos, gold grill, I'm plant-based. He's a huge meat smoker. He told me this is the first conversation, you know, motorcycles, MMA fighting. 
but it was it was not a logical rational you know evaluation it was this attunement to energy and i was just like wow i feel this connection and then you know he felt it too even though he said he would never get married he said within 15 minutes he felt like i was going to be his wife wow and so um you know, I'll say that the practical nature of this, I look back to Annika and I'm like, oh shit, like if I hadn't done that, I, I think my soulmate would have gone by me. And I wonder how much, how many times, you know, that happens before two up here mm -hmm. in the ego, it blocks, right? Instead of this flow of the heart and living from the true self. Right. Right. It's like this different way of living. And the other thing you said before was like, I do this or I do this, I, I drink or I don't. Um, in the chapter, I am whole, this is a really interesting chapter because I think one of the things that holds us back so much is we become attached to our behaviors mm -hmm. and the yogis teach us until mm -hmm. we are yoked truly to the true self as humans, our behavior is always going to be unpredictable and unreliable. So what we want to do is we want to have that, you know, pull the shadows out, look at the so-called good and bad, and then take the lessons, clean up the mess, apologize if we need to, but then let it go so that we're not holding on to guilt and shame. Yeah. You know, another big, another big topic in the book was about forgiveness too. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think this is such a pertinent one because I think the one that can almost probably bring, well, me, but maybe, maybe anyone listening is just not only forgiving others, but maybe most importantly yourself, because the way you oh. treat yourself is the way you treat others. So if you can't Huge. forgive yourself, how can you really forgive anyone else? And like, what haven't we all done so many things in your, in our life where we're like, man, I need to forgive myself for X, Y, Z, ABC, D, E, F, like all the different things that happen. And it's like, you know, maybe that's something good to talk about is just yes. forgiveness and the role that it plays and why it's such an important part of moving forward. So where, where our power is and where we can bring the most love, light, support into the planet is right here in this moment, right? So what I was saying about behavior, we've all done shit. We've all done stuff that we wouldn't do again, that we may regret, whatever it is, but we cannot take it back. So in the whole chapter, there's a practice and I'll simplify it here, but it's where you list your sun qualities, which mm -hmm. are the ones we like to, you know, we like to share. I'm patient. I'm a good friend. I remember everybody's birthdays, like whatever it is. I, you know, I, I'm generous, whatever it is. We list it pretty easy to rattle off. Right. And then we, and I recommend doing this after we meditate. So we have a chance to just be more rooted and grounded. And then mm -hmm. we start to write our lunar qualities, which are the parts of us that we don't necessarily like to share with the world. But as we, we continue to go back to this practice, it goes deeper and deeper. So, oh, you know, I actually can be judgmental or I can be mean or I can be exclusive or I can be snobby or whatever it is. And then we list them. And then what happens when you list those, Danica, is you will start to feel the reactions of the ego in terms of mm -hmm. sensations in your body. Your body will reflect um, your reaction. So what does that mean? You may start to feel your heart racing or you may start to feel, a, for me, it feels like constriction. So a constriction yeah. in my, my belly or in yeah. my heart. So what that means is we still have attached energy to those parts of us that we haven't metabolized or we haven't processed. We sort of pushed away into the shadow, right? Carl Jung talks about bringing things in the, out into the light. So it actually starts to melt the darkness just by nature of starting to see things. So in this practice, we want to hold the sun qualities and the moon qualities up equally and look at them like, like a you know yin yang, like both of these are part of me. 
And we let the sensations rise and fall, which is helping us to metabolize the shame and the guilt. And then we realize that the next practice after that is going beyond that and realizing the surface, all these behaviors, Danica, it's still the ego, like acting out of its wounds. And underneath that is is the stability of the true self that is beyond behavior. Now, as we get really anchored in, of course, our actions and our words are an extension of our true self. But right now we're, you know, we're having a human experience. So the duality is that we're becoming as humans, we're still evolving and becoming. And then there's the true self part of us that is already whole and complete. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of this duality, this play. So what it means is we forgive ourselves for being human. We don't trample down on that humanness. We don't beat ourselves up forever because we can't take it back. We learn the lessons. We continue to evolve and we continue to align more to the true self. Yeah. I love that practice of being able to look at the sun and and look at those qualities and identifying, starting to almost basically like give your, familiarize yourself with what it feels like to be, uh, in love, to, to have your heart opening, to be joyful, and then to feel what it feels like in your body, because this, the body ends up becoming like the barometer for things. Yes. And I'm sure that that's plays a huge role in your life. Like, you know, how does the body feel when a situation comes up? Someone, something, any, anything, the body is the indicator. It's not like, it's not, you don't always get some, there's just a booming voice from above going like, this is a bad decision. I mean, you might hear some (laughs) sort of like, I call them like knowings, like, you know, something just hits you in a couple of words, but a lot of times it's a, it's a body that it's the, it's the physical sensation first, but then on the other side, when you can feel the contraction and then you can start to identify the more you practice that back and forth and knowing what that's like to go out into the real world and have things happen and be like, Ooh, wow. I'm feeling that this must mean something, something is like, I should be cautious right now. Um, I think is such a valuable practice for somebody. What would they do? So what's the practice then with the, you know, the, the moon, the lunar side of your, your, your personality and, um, what you do with those? Is there something you're supposed to actually do other than just witness them to balance them or dissolve them or, or, or create some sort of alchemy with them? Yeah. So the, this is the whole chapter, which again is in part one, which is about getting past the biggest blocks. So there's a, you know, that's similar, but there is a extended practice in the fear chapter, which is actually the first one. Um, fearlessness, which Yogananda says, if we um, 26 soul qualities that a human needs to develop in order to reach their fullest potential. Um, fearlessness is number one, because if we're riddled with fear, we don't even want to see, we don't even want to get on the path in the first place. So what we want to do is we want to just start to see and witness in these practices. So we're sort of like pulling things out of the dark corners and we're starting to look right. right. So the word um, enlightenment again means freedom. We can never be free if we are controlled by we get hijacked or we act on these patterns. We don't even know what's going on. We just think to ourselves, we project, we blame. We're like, oh, that person's an asshole. right. I just don't like them or whatever it is. It's like always out here versus Mm -hmm. shining the mirror inside and seeing, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, my true nature is bliss and unconditional love. And what are the things that have happened that create distortions in that? Like, why do I act out in these ways? Or why does this really bother me? So for me, Danica, oh my gosh, when I start doing this work, I used to think, okay, I like to move things along the most. um, One of the things that bothered me the most was when people interrupted me, right? 
Or I would go into this, you know, explanation, let's say, oh, people should need a lot of dairy. And then they wouldn't agree with me. So part of me was like, oh, you know, it's just annoying. I would just like toss it off as this person's annoying. But I started to really sit with this. Okay. So the, the, it gets deeper to answer your question. We build and build, we start to see what's there. And then we start to dissolve it in, in different ways and different practices of bringing in more light because these different, these lunar aspects are, you know, darkness. And what is darkness? Darkness is an absence of light. Darkness is not necessarily evil. We don't want to create shame and, you know, weigh ourselves down. It's just that we need to nourish these aspects of us. So for me, I could see, oh, we get really impatient when people interrupt you, when they don't agree with you. What is that? So then I would sit with it. And through this work, through these practices, I could see, oh, the reason it bothers me so much is because it's triggering some very primal um, fear in me that I'm not good enough to be seen or heard. Mm -hmm. And underneath that was like, I'm not, if I'm not good enough to be seen and heard, it's because I'm not lovable, right? Like a deep, deep, deep primal mm -hmm. wound, you know, things that had happened in my yeah. childhood. And so once I saw that as the root, the behavior was an extension, but the root wound, right. which again, we, we I take you sequentially into healing this, was this, oh, I don't feel lovable. And once I saw that, Danica, then I started to tune into the ways in which we give ourselves love. No mm. more like dancing around or all the ways in which I was giving my power away, trying to get the love and right. reinforce myself and validate myself, which is really validating the ego, anything from outside. Instead, it was like, well, I can show up for myself. I can give myself the love. I can, again, self-soothe, validate. And the healing that came from that was so tremendous because what happens then, Danica, and this is what, this is what cures a lot of relationship issues, is we then become whole as individuals. So when we're with our partner, we're with someone else, a friend, we're not trying to get anything from them, right? We're not trying to get them to agree with us. We're not trying to get them to see our exact perspective. We're just sharing life. And oh my God, Danica, my, <laughs> my in-laws came last week who are very intense and they've bothered me a lot in the past. And this is just how much the work continues. I was just there. And I got to tell you, honestly, from my heart, they didn't bother me at all. Yeah. All the ways in which they'd like say things and duh, 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 duh. like, oh my God. Know, they don't get it at all. <laughs> it's so it hard to get to that point where you actually can see it in real life, real time, different. Good but it adds up. Job. These practices, Dan, I'm saying if you do like seven minutes of meditation, then you do a check in during the day, which could be 90 seconds. One of my practices are five minutes. And the end of the day, you think, oh, what's that going to do? But really, it, you're turning the energy inward, which is always going out. And the realizations may come, it's nonlinear. So you don't realize how much it starts to add up and accrue and build into this more expansive way of looking at things in this much more grounded place where we are, because trying to get stuff from people all the time and, you know, all the ways in which we really are trying to get things, it's part of our primal fear attached to our identity. It's an exhausting way to live life and it's arduous and it actually blocks abundance. It blocks mm -hmm. love. It blocks a lot of things from coming in because mm -hmm. this desperate energy is really an energy of lack and it actually repels things from us. You said that fear is actually you feeling a, like you're lacking something, right? Isn't that what you say? That fear, fear is you fear think you're is, missing something. Yeah. Fear is being an ego. 
Because if I'm in the ego, I'm scared that, oh my God, I'm getting older. My body's going to break down. All this stuff's going to happen to me. You know, someone's going to outdo my stuff, my project at work. I'm not going to get the promotion. It's because we're still here all the time. It doesn't mean we need to, we're going to take steps. We're going to work on our skills. We're going to be in the world. But when we tune into the true self, this eternal part of us, we don't have the same fears that are taking over a life every day. You know, one of my other favorite chapters, Danica, is the warrior chapter, right? And yeah. this um, in Sanskrit word is uh, kastriya, this warrior part of us, um, you know, in Yogananda's commentary, he says something, throw yourself into the din of battle and do not worry about results. So this means when we're living from our heart, when we are taking right action, dharma, so we've concentrated our energy, and then we see where we want to put it, we go for it, we create, we're not riddled with fear of what if this doesn't work out? What if, you know, they don't like me? And that was also a big difference in writing this book, Danica, I think, you know, as an author, and you know this too, the publisher wants to have input, like, oh, this is what's trending. This is what's going on out here, products, whatever it is. And so it's almost this reverse engineering of here's what's out here. And here's how we reflect that. With this, it was none of that outside. It was like, boom, this is inside of me. And I feel like I feel so passionate about this. And so it's, it's unfolding from the inside out. Like, I think this is how our best stuff is created. Whoever we happen to be is we're, we're um, birthing something truly. It's so connected. It's so deep within us. And then it comes out of our unique talent and our unique energy. Um, and I think when we overvaluate again, the ego, just trying to figure out from here and then do it the other way, that's when, you know, things don't always work out so well. What are some practices that you've noticed over time that help get you into that state of more of a clear channel, more present, more connected to the true self and the message that you have? And then what have you noticed over time or some of the things that you do that take you out of that or make it feel a lot, maybe more blurry and a little less clear and a little less, a little less, um, obvious what you're, what you should be doing next or saying next, or even, yes. yeah, just doing sometimes is even the way it's like, I don't know, what should I do now? <laughs> so I keep, I keep saying this word Danica practices, because I think that's the most important thing here, right? It's like, otherwise we're just a leaf blowing in the wind. Like once in a while I do a yoga retreat and I feel good, or I see a happy Instagram post and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but it's <laughs> practices that really are what is how we are working with energy. So for instance, in the, in the morning routine, I teach hot water with lemon. Great. Good for your digestion. Get the vitamin C in, get the hot water in, which helps you feel stabilized in your physical body. Take your SBO probiotics, do something for your gut health. And then always, always it's sitting to meditate, even mm -hmm. if it's seven minutes in the practical enlightenment meditations that I teach, because from the beginning of the day, we want to be creating a pattern of flow of our energy where we're not just tuned out here, but we have this um, inner connection that we're starting the day with. And so it may feel restless at first. It was excruciatingly difficult for me to sit in meditation when I started you know, over 12 years ago. Um, but now that I have been meditating for a while, it continues to get deeper um, and deeper and deeper. So anyone that's like, well, you know, what's the best thing to do to get started? I say, you know, do the meditation every morning. Um, if you don't have seven minutes, I mean, I'm sorry, but you got to adjust your life, right? So the practical enlightenment meditations are inspired by the Kriya Yoga that, Yo that Yogananda brought from the West. And so there's three parts that I find in his, you know, in this work teaches us is really important. The first is some kind of physical movement just to settle the body. 
Remember, the end goal of, is not these asanas. Out of 196 sutras, only three mentioned poses. This is not the end goal. Stira Sukha Asana. It's to create steadiness and comfortability so we can sit. Mm. And the second part is some breath work for getting in. And some of the breath work you hear about today, Danica, is like violent and like really like fast. That's for something else. You know, Yogananda and yoga teaches us very clearly when we are working to interiorize our energy, your breath should actually get slower and slower. Mm. And then the third part is, is merging your, um, limited ego with the I am consciousness because the I am, remember I said before the I am that I am, this is the, this is the consciousness of the true self. So then we create an intention and work it around the I am. So um, every week I put out free meditations on the Saluna app and on my website too, if anyone um, wants to check them out, but that to me is the fundamental practice. And then we go through, there's exercises for introspection. Um, there's amazing practice. If you're trying to call something in, in the abundance chapter as well. This is something I recommend doing three minutes a day, at least where we are self-generating um, this feeling of fullness, because if we're moving around the world, we say, oh, I want this. I want to have a nice apartment. I want to have a nice boyfriend, whatever it is. But if we're moving around in the world in this lack energy, it doesn't matter what we're saying. We're not living it. Mm. So this is more, you know, back to the underlying energy matrix, which is um, recognizing that everything is energy and we are dynamic energy at our core. We know the blood's flowing, the mitochondria is, you know, working, all this stuff is happening. So we want to work with that energy versus mm -hmm. just these empty words and how we self-generate, how we bring that energy into every cell of the body. Yeah. Feeling I, you know, speaking of meditations and, um, you know, the power of them, which, you know, is such a reminder how, you know, just to speak to at least like, what are the things that get you into practice and talk about meditation. And, you know, I think also if I can add to that, just from my own opinion is like having a designated place for it. Yeah. Like having like a, a spot that you can go where, you know, you'll be on your own. Cause let's say for example, um, here at my house, like my meditation area and everything that I do, like red light and different things, it's in my bedroom. And so mm -hmm. when I'm here by myself, I do them all in the morning. But when yes. my boyfriend is here, I'm like, oh, I like if he's still in bed, I don't want to, or if he's up and I'm not, I might as well get, get out there to the kitchen or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> if I, I'm, re I'm realizing that like someday cohabitating together is like, okay, this, this space needs to be in a separate room where I can go to and do these practices. So that's my, my own add on from my own, um, practices, but totally. uh, very practical. But, yeah. Um, but that's why in my book, they came out years ago. Uh, there's a whole chapter on a woman cave, a woman. Mm, yes. Cave I remember that. Just like being able to create your own space that feels really good. And it's your favorite chair and it's your favorite pillow and it's your favorite pictures. It's your favorite things. And it just, everything in the space feels good. And it's a designated space. So one of my lifelong goals that I had, um, was to go to Egypt. And mm. so, I was with Joe Dispenza doing a little retreat, a little day, one day retreat. And at the end of it, he taught us this practice, this meditation practice, where you think of what you, it is that you want and you identify a handful of reasons why, and then another handful of um, elevated emotions that you would feel having mm. accomplished it or attained it, done it. 
And, um, and so then at the end of the meditation, you access that and go into those feelings and you, and you, you know why you want to do it. And then you embody when your whole body, like how it would feel. And so I was visualizing myself in Egypt and I was visually visualizing the gratitude I have, the awe I would have, and just like seeing it and just feeling my whole body full of energy and just joy and pride to have like made it there finally. And, and so anyway, I went through this practice and like two hours later at dinner, a girl taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, I heard you're interested in going to Egypt. And I was like, Oh, what? <laughs> and she said, <laughs> I was like, did I, did I, did you see what I wrote? And she said, no, but a girl said that you were talking about Egypt at some point. And so I was like, yeah, she goes, well, there's a trip in February if you want to go. And this oh, was, wow. this was like October, almost November of 2020. And then I went in February of 2021. And so, uh, so anyway, that's just, you know, the power of embodying these feelings of what you want and, you know, really going, really, really getting into the feeling of things I think is so powerful in meditations. It is. And also one thing that, um, I forgot to mention before we were talking about the difference between constriction, your body will tell you when something feels right or doesn't feel wrong or right or wrong. And then also this feeling of um, expansion, right? Mm-hmm. So meditation, true meditation mm-hmm. and these practices are experiential. So we can't really, um, there's two parts of yoga. There's the wisdom. There's like the Sankhya philosophy, which is really understanding the union with the true self. And we see it, we read it, but then we live it through our meditations, right? Like we want it to really be, um, it's just beyond the thought. It's beyond thinking. It's this experience of that union. So by nature, what we're, what we're looking to create is union and expansion. And so what we want to do, and the more we do this, we start to tune into um, what some people call the way of things. Some people mm-hmm. call it the will of God. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of manifesting stuff out there that's kind of like anything, everything, like create, you know, do whatever you want to do and, you know, manifest it. And, and to an extent that that is true because we do have free will. But I would say taking it a step further is when we are in this union, we are not just isolated beings, right? And we talk about this in the warrior chapter. We are um, part of this collective. There is this oneness. We're all part of source. So we start to feel not just expansive within ourselves, but we start to feel more connected to everything and everyone else. So that means that when we start to tune in, it means that the things that we work to manifest and things that we work to create, it becomes more powerful when we include the good of others as well. Mm -hmm. So it could be, you know, not just as literal as like, Hey, I'm going to volunteer, but it's like, you know, what um, we can journal about this after we meditate, you know, what project, what does the, does the planet need right now? Like, what can I put my energy in? How can I serve this? Or if you're in a job, let's see, in, a, in an office or at Starbucks or whatever it is, how can I show up in my fullest energy to give the most love today? What's my frequency? What's my vibration? So the more we go along this path, one of the signs that we are starting to really um, progress is that we have more expansion in ourselves, in our feelings, and in our in our goals, like just life starts to feel more. We're not isolated anymore. We're not just so hyper fixated on ourselves. Again, the ego. It just starts to feel so much more meaningful and fulfilling. And then we feel like we stepped into that flow. We're not just doing you know some idea, even though it doesn't really go along with the energy of what's around. We're working with manifesting in the you know the Tao calls this to um, the Tao Te Ching, which I'm also a big fan of on Lao Tzu. It just talks about this flow of the way of things. Um, So that's a part of this work as well. Yeah. It's interesting. I think about 
how so much of the work is inward and it's about, you know, looking at yourself first. And again, how you treat yourself is how you treat others most of the time. So whether it's forgiveness or love or like my great lesson that I learned, I guess was last year still, um, only for a little bit longer, but last year learning the, learning the lesson of, you know, I'd been waiting so long through relationships to have someone choose me. And I realized that the Mm -hmm. lesson was I was supposed to be choosing myself, which is probably why I had such a hard time, you know, towards the end of the relationship, even thinking to myself, I was like, if I could do anything today for myself, what would I do? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I better write it down. Can I come up with three things that I would do for myself today? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm like, that should have been a pretty big red flag that I wasn't choosing myself. But, um, but I just hear about how it's, how that the self and even like triggers, it's like triggers are teachers. I mean, I was just talking to my, yes. talking to my therapist yesterday and it's like, you know, something happens and it's like, like you said, when you learn that lesson, that correlation between childhood and you go, okay, when someone is for me, it's like, if someone's l- like lazy, then I think to myself, oh, well, what does that mean? And instead of, you know, getting them to do more. It's like, okay, this is my issue. I'm judging them. And I'm like, oh, that's because when I was a kid, I was never allowed to (laughs) sleep in. Dad would call it 8am. I would get in trouble if I didn't have the cooler pack to go to the racetrack. Like nothing was ever like able to just be like, I was never able to be a kid. And, um, and I'm saying that, and then my parents are wonderful and (laughs) I love my parents very much. We have a great relationship, but it doesn't mean that as that all parents aren't going to give their child some kind of dilemma, some kind of thing to deal with later, whether it's too much or too little love, we're all, you know, every parent's going to give their kids something. Oh yeah. And we um, we all have that childhood stuff, don't we? Yeah, exactly. But it's like not trying to fix it on the outside. But then of course, when you flip it and you think about like purpose and you think about what you do, it's like, it's much more in service. It's like how you can help. And so, um, but you have to find that from the inside, you know, as, and so, and from the true self, as opposed to the ego and, you know, thinking about money or thinking about, uh, you know, um, status or something like that. And so, you know, but true happiness is knowing yourself, but then of course being in service, it's like interesting because there's the, the like true joy. And I feel like we're always, we're all meant to be in community and I don't care who you listen to. You listen to any doctor or scientist or spiritual person. And they'll all tell you that like, it's community it's to be together. It's, 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 it's a fundamental core trait of being a human being and, and find, your purpose is a core is of a core essence of what we need to figure out. Yeah, I would say the you know the reason um, service again is so is so powerful because it's part of this energy of expansion. So mm-hmm. the more we just think small and we think about our needs, it keeps us in the ego. It keeps us in that very limited, isolated energy, which does stagnate and never will give us the fulfillment that we want. I don't care how much money you have or how much you've accomplished. If you're not including the good of others, then you do remain contained. Um, and also, you know, you're saying about the childhood stuff. The reason it's so important to do these practices, to get into the body, to get into the breath, to get into all these yogic teachings, which are very specific about how to work with the spine, how to work with um, all the, you know all this amazing um, stuff, is because the ego keeps us in um, these categories: right, wrong, black, white. This is good. This is bad. It's constantly judging. And it's constantly yeah. looking out and putting things in boxes, and really, um, that is 
very arduous. It sucks up a lot of energy. Think about how much you know energy is sucked up in judgment, including judgment, especially judgment of the self. So mm-hmm. it's like always this, these like little voices and like the pickingness. So that's why the 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 solution to the problem is not found where the problem is. It's not found in like trying to make the ego shinier and like better makeup or like maybe I'm going to do more. It comes from this expansive, stable place of beingness. And the power of the beingness gets expanded into, um, you know, what can I do? What's inspired action that's yoked, that's in union with the true self. And that will include by its definition ways in which it can support and help other people um, because that is what expansion is. Otherwise, you know, it's also when we start to do this work, like I said, you start to realize you don't need that much from the outside. You become more autonomous. I'm not trying to get all this stuff from other people. I give it to myself. So then it's like, I'm good, right? I'm, I'm good. So in my time here on earth, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to do things that are going to help others because I'm already good. I'm whole, I'm stable. I'm complete. So this is like the highest and best use of my time. And I want people to also feel more love and more, you know, compassion and to feel this peace. You also say in the book that love is an action. Yes. And I think that's like, that hit me. I was like, okay, because have you ever seen the movie contact? with um Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster. Oh man, like a long time. It's about ago. it's about going to space. It's like you know, it's getting a signal from outer space and decoding it and building this, you yeah, know, this device exactly. and this huge device. And Matthew McConaughey plays the the he's a he's relig- the religious side, the spiritual religious side of things and and Jodie Foster is the scientific, you know, mind and she needs to be able to prove things. And so <clears throat> it's kind of this this battle between the two. And it's like, whoever ends up going to space ends up being someone that's actually that kind of has religion involved in their life. And she just can't buy into religion because it can't be proven. And so he says to her, he goes, her dad died when, when she was young in the movie. And he says to her, did you love your dad? And she goes, of course. And he said, prove it. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, that's right. Like you can't prove it. And when, so when I read that, when love is an action, I went, that's it. Like, you don't prove like you don't prove out an action. You just do it. It just is. That's right. So one of the things um, that I think is powerful to get across, like if anybody's listening to this and they're like, I do want a relationship or I do want more love. I do want whatever, more fulfilling friendships, whatever it is. The way that we approach it is again, this like place of lack, like, oh, I got to get on more dating apps. I got to <laughs> spend more time. I got to, you know, I just got to be, I have to be doing more. And it's really the ego, this gettingness is lack, right? So the difference is when we turn it on ourselves and love as an action means today, how can I live love? Even as I wake up in the first five minutes, I can send a text to someone and tell them I love them. Mm -hmm. I can be extra kind to the barista where I get coffee. I can hug my pet or like the first, you know, living thing I see, I, you know, I give it so much love. We start to live in the fullness and abundance of love. We become the source of love because we are tuned into the source of love. So now that becomes so attractive. People are drawn to you because instead of you trying to get it, which is like, oh my God, it's like a leech, a leech energy. It's, it's people are drawn to you. There's a, there's a certain magnetism to it. 
I think, and um, there is um, Dr. David Hawkins had a, had a scale for measuring some of the frequencies of, of emotions oh, yeah. that I reference in the book. And also a neuroscientist that I recently had on my podcast was talking about how mind isn't just in the brain. It's in, a, it's in the cells of the body. It's also this gravitational field outside. So more and more science shows that there is you know, it's not this woo-hoo, woo-hoo, like, you know, like the secret got a really bad rap a few years ago because it was just like, oh, just imagine something and it comes. It got, you know, some people, it got a little bit oversimplified, but there is a truth to everything is energy. Everything is kinetic, pulsating. It's not just empty space, but it is energetic. So whether it's abundance that we're trying to create or more love, we're trying to attract in, it really does start with tuning in to that inner state and what frequency we are showing up into each moment with, knowing again that that repeated frequency is starting to create something in the outside world. And this is something I get into more detail about in the um, magnetism chapter. I don't know if you're there yet, Danica. But when I <laughs> I write how I, I met Deepak um, Chopra because he was like a you know childhood hero of mine. I read a lot of his books from when I was a teenager on. And so to go from that into actually writing a book with him was this, you know, this, <laughs> pra this practice of really tuning into to magnetism, which is mm. something I think we can all develop. And that's the practical nature of this book and the teachings. It's not, you know, oh, I hope this happens. Like, I really love these concepts. It's no yogic science. There is a, a science into the, you know, working with the spine, working with these energies. You do it day in and day out, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, in morning, night it does change your energy and it does change your external life. I mean, you know, talking about abundance, I was, you know, not so long ago, like completely broke coming back from backpacking. I used to get three oranges for lunch for a dollar because I read a study that oranges kept you full the longest into again, just, we can't just, you know, fears when we think the world is just what we see with our eyes you know, where I am today, what's in the bank account versus stepping into the flow of the true, true self. So I started to do that. And now, oh, the love, soulmate hubby, you know, the babies, the land here where you've been, Danica, now we were able to just buy a farm in Hawaii. So just creating without, it doesn't mean everything in my life is perfect, but it means there's just more easefulness. There's more harmony in each moment. So there's not this same like pushing and anxiety that I used to experience so much of. And I know that's possible for everybody. It doesn't have to be the same system of the ego. What comes to mind when you talk about that is I'm thinking about the story about, you know, your mom passing and, you know, and, and maybe you want to share that um, or something about it. But the thing that comes to mind is letting go and just oh, yeah. how powerful that is just in our, because there's going to be things that come up. Right. And, um, you know, the less triggered we are, the better, of course, but there's still going to be things that you just have to let go of. I, I have a saying, my saying this year has been, oh, well, and it's really powerful. <laughs> Something happens. I just go, oh, well. Oh, oh well. <laughs> I thought you oh, said, well. oh, well. Oh, I love that. Oh, yes. well. <laughs> it's, it's, that's um, important. Go. That is so important. This, this, um, this concept that life doesn't have to be so serious. And this, again, let's talk about control for a second, which is the antithesis of letting go, which is, a, you know, what the ego tries to do. It tries to set things up so it's predictable so it's safe for us because it's like i want it to be this yeah. way exactly so to you know i don't know if anyone's gonna watch this or i'll explain it but you know usually we're like holding on so tightly to what we want letting go it's like you open your hand and now look at the receptivity look at the difference in energy yeah. so with my mom it was it was a 
it was a wild ro- roller coaster because we were together at Christmas and I'm telling you, Danica, it was like normal. Like wow. everything was, you know, my son was like eight months old. I think at the time we were just wrapping presents and laughing and walking to the beach and doing all this stuff. And then, you know, and then it was like, my dad called me on February 7th. I remember because my birthday's on the 6th. So he didn't want to call me my birthday the day after. He's like, you know, something's wrong with mom. She's tired. Or was, you know, she's in bed. And I flew back right away. And it was like me and her alone. I was holding her hand when the doctor called and said, we found cancer. And then, you know, it went from like me in doing mode, being like, I know how to, you know, I know how to take care of you. I've worked with other people with cancer as a wellness person as well. I know how to do the nutrition. I was like running around like, no, we can fix this. People have healed from cancer into, you know, I think two or three weeks in, they were like, look, her body's just, you know, swelling. She's not absorbing anything, the protein. And, you know, maybe she has a few years. And I was like, a few years? I was like, I don't want to lose my mom in my thirties, I was like, this is not going to happen. Like, no. So then I was, I kept racing around, but it was, it was unfolding. It was, it was starting to be obvious that I couldn't control this. So it went from a few years, I think in like the next week, he was like, you know, she is less than two weeks. So it was this ultimate, like ripping the veil away of like thinking you have any sort of, sort of control. And then it was down to that last night. I remember I said, squeeze my hands if you can still hear me. And she squeezed. And so I looked at she like for two hours. She looked at me with her black eyes, Danica, and I could tell her everything. You know, love is everlasting. Um, you know, I will love you forever. Mm. And then she was not able to let go because I could tell she was really worried about my dad. So this was the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, I had to look at her and say, you know, mom, it's OK. Like, you can go. I will mm. take care of daddy, like I will be here. And I knew she registered it because then her breath got slower and slower. And then she let go and I had to let go. And it was this, you know, sometimes we, we cling because we think it's like, this is how it has to be. But when we let go, it's like, we're letting go into that space. We're mm-hmm. letting go into that expansion. And from that experience, you wow. know, I just feel like, oh, yeah, the love, you know, the, it's not, I'm trying to get you to always be here to support me. It was letting go into, I know that love is eternal and you, your soul needs to go somewhere else. This isn't about me. And whoa, that changed my whole perspective to love Danica. And um, it was part of that whole like unearthing period where I merged like so, so much more whole and um, to what you were saying, like more relaxed because it's like things can happen at any time. And it's like, who gives a shit about so much of the planning? Like we're here right now. You know, who are we being in this moment? Am I in true self? Am I in expansive love or am I not? And if I'm not, I want to recognize that and keep coming back to center, you know, faster and faster. Right. We are these wounded humans. We're acting things out. We don't want to, you know, um, not be compassionate with ourselves, but we want to start to wake up to the love and the potential that's here in this moment. Yeah. Because, you know, I think that's why we're here. Right. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Wow. I mean, I cried. still get teared up. I, cr- I cried when I read it. And then I cried a little right now hearing you tell the, tell the story and, you know, getting into the emotion of it. So thank you for, for going there with, with us. Um, I mean, it, it really actually just pivots right into the title of the book, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, <laughs> You're more than you think you are. And I'm sure that, you know, you probably 
feel that with your mom now. I'm sure you notice her in places. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, feel her. And, um, you know, the quicker that we realize that we're more than we think, the quicker we can practice stepping into more of it. Exactly. The more we realize that we're not this shell, but we have this unlimited eternal part of us. And we tune into that for so many of our needs, the peace we're looking for, the confidence we're seeking, the the soothingness, the love, all of it is here. It's inside of us. So when we do this more and more, and this, you know, this desperate seeking outside of ourselves starts to diminish, our energy grows, our true power grows, and we're able to serve each other more and connect and love and show up and just beingness instead mm-hmm. of all the, you know, the judging and the way and all the ways in which we are competitive or tear each other down. And so I just feel like, oh my God, Danica, of all the things, right? This is needed the most in the world today. <laughs> just gonna say that. I'm like, we need this book right now. And, you know, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast with a couple of guys talking about the state of the world and algorithms and social platforms and stuff. And you're trying to come up with a reason of how to, how to, how to move forward, what to do next. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, t- it's a, it's a really interesting world out there. And yeah. really the only thing that they kind of touched on that made any kind of sense other than Joe talking about psychedelics was, um, was, uh, getting to the self, like we have to change. Like you can't expect someone else to change. You can't, you know, in the times that we, you can't expect the government to change. You can't expect social, you know, giant companies and institutions to change. You can't expect that those things to change. You can't expect if you can't even expect your partner to change, like how do you seriously ever expect anything else that's any bigger than that uh, to change? And that the only way that things really change is when you yourself change. Exactly. It's all internal. And then your outer world, at least in relation to you, starts to change. And the more of us change, there is a movement that starts to take place. But real quick about social media. I mean, do you remember when all that stuff came out a few weeks ago or a few months ago now, the whistleblower stuff, all the studies, they knew how horrible it was for women, especially in mental health. So it's like one of the things, you know, so many people write into to to me and, and, you know, my podcast and stuff about feeling bad about being on social media. And there's a, there's a reality to that. If we're not anchored in here, we're going to go on there and we're going to get triggered left and right because we're an ego. So Mm -hmm. I highly suggest (laughs) batching when you're on there only certain Mm -hmm. times. I certainly do not want to be on there before I meditate and establish myself. I don't want to be in there in the morning because I'm, you know, I will, you know, just focused here. So I think it's important that we put in these systems. So we start to, again, work with our own energy. We just don't give our power away alerts coming in all day long, always throwing us off, always pulling us off center. So create specific times when you want to be on social media, follow only people that feel really positive to you, that you feel good about, put out, put out posts, put out things that, you know, feel connect with you and your truth and you feel really good about putting out. Um, so to me, that's the way that I think is, you know, for me, the, the ways that I try to make social media positive, more positive. (laughs) There's a way to look at anything as it's kind of like the, the topic of duality and oneness. It's like interesting because if you'd asked me a few years back, what I thought the point of this existence was, I would say to experience duality, like Mm. to experience all that being human had, offers. But what I realized in the dualistic nature of life, the good and the bad, 
is that the more good and the more, the more actually, unfortunately ended up being the more bad I felt, the more I realized without, without getting a good, the more easy I was able to access joy and happiness in simple moments. Mm. And so by pushing, by getting further into the, into the sadness or into, 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 you know, desperate emotions and, 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 and the bad, I felt the good automatically. And in that moment, like in those moments over enough of them happened last year, I realized that, that they're part of the same whole. It was almost like I was bumping my like emotional intelligence a little wider and wider, um, by feeling even just one emotion, there was almost a, a, a bounce to the other side. And that oneness is our true nature. Exactly. The, the, the ego thinks like good, bad. I don't want to feel this. So I'm going to distract or I'm going to eat a mm-hmm. bunch of cookies. Or I'm going to do whatever I can to not feel this sadness or this anger, whatever it is. Like think about all the ways in which we try to put those parts of us away. We, we disown, we keep the shadow alive actually with more of that um, abandonment versus just letting everything come up and starting to find more neutrality. And really um, neuroscience shows that these, um, like it's biochemical reactions when we feel really strong emotion. So if mm-hmm. we don't attach the narrative, if we don't have the story to it, it usually dissipates in again, 90 seconds. So we want to get to this point where again, it's all our energy isn't going out here. So we get caught up in the drama of life. We follow this little reaction and suddenly we get in a fight with our spouse or our boyfriend or a friend and cleaning up the mess. It's just like taking us away from our power, right? So Pratyahara is like, okay, all this stuff's out here. I sense it. I see it. I witness it more and more versus getting drawn in. And really I'm just pulling it in here. I'm staying in here. I'm showing up here. This is how I can serve the most. I know my truth. I need less and less from the outside. And here's where I create from. And this is where our best stuff comes forward. That's what you did with this book. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. I like, love you so much, service, You're, you're I mean, you're just a wonderful human, like sharing your space you. when I came last year and just, you know, introducing me to friends and sitting in circle and, you know, oh, just spending I time with come your back. family. I, I, yes. I plan on it. I plan on it. Yes, I definitely do. Can't wait to see so many good people in California. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I and mean, then come over, and you, one day you'll have to come over to Hawaii too, Danica. I think better idea. I might it. like Hawaii a little better than California. Oh my god! For some reasons, not others. Uncle. Oh yeah, talk about <laughs> just nature and the power, and um, yeah, it's you'll totally vibe. Oh well, thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.